I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. All right, everybody, we are here in Nashville. It is the day before the 2023 NHL draft, Corey, and Nashville is buzzing. We were down on Broadway last night. We watched them take down the awards stage. Naturally, that's what people want to hear on this podcast. No, of course, uh, let's let's get into the draft here. Uh, and, and obviously, I think the suspense at the top is not so much on the first pick, unlike last year. But I do think there is some intrigue here in the top five, a, a strong group at the top of this draft. And I know we've been talking... Really, I think most people have been talking through the course of this draft cycle that this is a inevitability that Adam Fantilli is going to go two to the Ducks. Do you think that that is a, a good way to look at this 24 hours before the draft? It's hard to say. Obviously, no one really knows you know, what's going to happen. Um, even when we were going into the draft last year with uh, Uri Slavkovsky, the Shane Wright, Logan Cooley debate at the top, you know, I, I said at this time last year, I think it's going to be Slavkovsky, but I didn't know. Like I had heard conflicting information about Wright or Slavkovsky, and that's kind of the same situation here. Like I've talked to people in the league who are convinced that Tilly is going second, and I've talked to people in the league who are less convinced. When you say that, do you think that they are of the mind that maybe this could be Matvey Mitchkov, or maybe this could be Leo Carlson? <sighs> Again, uh, Mitchkov is a fantastic hockey player. And, and and on pure ability, I myself and many hockey people do think he deserves to be in that conversation. Um, if he was a second overall pick, I wouldn't fall out of my chair, but the chair would rattle a little bit. Um, I would call that scenario highly unlikely, but not impossible. Uh, I do think it's about Fantilli uh, versus another one of the centers, and I believe that center is Leo Carlson. 
So let's we talked about it when we did the mock draft episode with Scott and, and Chris last week, and you kind of made the case for Leo Carlson. If you were to distill that down, it, it pretty much comes down to the the hockey sense is is the the driving force there. Right. And when I've graded out the players, when you look at my, my draft rankings and my discussions on on these two players, I have Fantilli uh you know by a decent margin ahead of Carlson because of the fact that I think he's a, a superior skater with superior competitiveness, a better natural goal scorer. And I think in my, on my way I grade, I've graded them out, I think the pure skill level is higher. But I think it's that last part that may not be a universal opinion in the league. So let's say you are of the mind that the two have equal skill level. And now you have Carlson, who is a little bit bigger, and he's smarter. And the other guy is faster and harder to play against. If you have that analysis in your head, I uh, I think it's a lot closer. And I think that my, that's been again. I I don't think there's there's never universal opinions. There were people in the league last year who thought Wright should have been one. There were people in the league who thought Cooley should have gone one. Um, but and and that's time kind of the same thing here. There are people in the league who think Fantilli is clearly the guy by a really you know decent margin. And then there are people in the league who think it's really close between those two guys, and there are people in the league who think who think they would take Carlson. And I I've, I don't know what the Ducks are going to do, but that's kind of been the vibe I've gotten over the last few days to a week. Is it's a, it's probably a lot closer than we've portrayed it over the last few months. Okay, so let's game that out then, and the ripple effects that could cause, right? Because last year, what was seen as a close decision at one ends with Shane Wright going to four. So if it is Leo Carlson at two and not Adam Fantilli, do we presume that Fantilli immediately goes three? I think it's very likely that happens. Um, and, you know, Everything I have heard going into the draft is Columbus's head over heels over Will Smith. I don't know if it's so head over heels that they would take him over Fantilli. I think they would take him over Carlson. Oh, I think they would just because I think they because of the skating differential there. And I think they are real believers. He is a center. They are real believers. He is going to be this high-end skill playmaking guy who can play with pace and, you know, be a real difference maker down the middle. And and that's kind of the fascinating part about the draft, right? Like we're talking about um, a debate at two between Fantilli and Carlson. But if you just change the players a little bit and all of a sudden it's not a debate about that, it's a debate about two other players, and I guess that's what makes the draft and and, and evaluating prospects uh, uh, so fun is uh, just the, the way people, different people, different organizations can see things. So that's fascinating. So at the same time, it's don't rule out Carlson at two, but if Carlson gets past two, he could go four. He could go four. Yes, and that it's, I mean, it was kind of the same way last year, right? Yeah. Like I kind of thought like. If Wright doesn't go one, I don't think he's going two, and like you know, like and that's kind of the, the same analysis there, but in with, with different circumstances. Interesting. All right, so that's the top four broadly. I think we could have an entire podcast, though, Corey, about Montreal. Not just what they do at number five. About twenty minutes before we started recording here, they made a rather sizable trade that I don't know that anybody saw coming. Here, they moved Florida's first round pick, and they moved the thirty seventh overall pick in this draft. For Alex Newhook, we're going to get to five in a second. Let, this is the hot news. Let, let's start here. Yeah, and, and Newhook is a good hockey player. I think he's an exceptional skater. He plays with a lot of energy. He's good, got good skill, good hockey sense. Um, you know, been a very promising amateur player for several years. His 
pro career has gone, you know, good enough. It's, I don't think he's, it's been a flop. I don't think he's being traded here because he's been unsuccessful pro. I think he's being traded here by Colorado because um, I don't think he really found a niche in that lineup. You know, it's unclear whether he's going to be an NHL center or an NHL winger. Is this guy like a, you know, this, is he a high end scoring type, high on offensive type? I don't think he's really shown he can be that just quite yet in the NHL, but he's still rather young, you know, 22 years old, I believe, as we record this podcast. Uh, and so we'll see how the rest of his career goes. You know, I see a guy who could be a top nine forward in the NHL, whether he's second line wing, third line center, whatever it is. You know, he's, he's a good hockey player. Um, but it's interesting now. Now you look at this Canadian's lineup, and and as it's you know, I like how he fits into them. He's a little bit older than maybe some of their more younger players, like Slavkovsky or like a Philip Meshar, who will take a few years, or Owen Beck will take a few years. So there's a little bit on the older side. He gets a little bit more experience there. Um, but now we now we turn to the draft, and you kind of think about their depth chart, and you think about organizational needs and. Uh, you know, do you need more wingers? Because I don't think there's a guarantee that Newhook is a center. And now uh, you have Newhook, you have you have Slavkovsky, you have Cole Caulfield. Um, you know, it's, and it does this sign point to a defenseman being the pick at five, or will they take Ryan Leonard, or will they take Mafe Michkov? We'll find out in a few short hours. So you talk about kind of Newhook can be that second line wing, third line center. I think when, when you and I were looking through their lineup, we kind of agreed if you had to choose between playing Kirby Doc or Newhook at center, you probably leaning doc i agree but but doc wasn't even a full-time center last year i think yep. he still needs to prove it new still needs to prove it i imagine one of those two will work out down the middle i can't tell you for sure which one but but doc has more of the prototypical traits that's why he went third overall um in the same draft i believe yeah the same draft as new hook where i'm going with this and you touched on it a minute ago the implications that it has on the pick and do you use a winger ryan leonard is a very different player from alex Newhook. yes but when you talk about then you go from your two top assets in last year's draft, uh, Slavkovsky and then Mashar, they obviously trade one of those for for Doc, so I guess maybe we should count that. But and then you come back and you trade one of your firsts for Alex Newhook. Can you use again a top five pick on another winger using all these premium assets on wingers? It's it's a good conversation and 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 listen, if you really believe in Ryan Leonard, because there are people in the league who think Ryan Leonard is um, a high echelon guy. Not everybody does. I think there are some reasonable concerns on the offensive upside there, despite the 50 goal season. Um, you know, he was, you know, I think uh, you look at, you know, his production versus his two NTDP line mates. He was the clear third best on that line from an offensive pr- production standpoint. It doesn't mean it's going to be from a pro translation standpoint. So I think there's, again, there's all reasonable debates. Some people think he could be Gabriel Lanishcock. Some people think he's going to be, you know, just a second line power winger kind of thing. Uh, so it depends where you fall on that question, but it is from a roster construction standpoint, it's very interesting because I think if you think it's close, and I don't know what Montreal thinks, but if you think it's close, history tends to tell me the team takes the defenseman in that scenario, and and they do that because the, the position is is very valuable. I don't know where David Reinbacher is going to go. He can go to Montreal at five, he can go to Arizona at six, Philly at seven. I don't know where he's going to land. Um, but I have found the discussion around Reinbacher leading into this draft very, I would say, confusing. Um, I kind of see he's viewed in the public discussions I've seen as like this low upside pick, the safe guy. You're reaching for a defenseman. These are all these are all things I've seen in our articles or on social media or in discussions with other people around the hockey, around hockey, mostly in terms of like other journalists. Like constantly, I keep hearing these lines, and it confuses me. 
frankly, because I mean, I don't know, like what he did this season was pretty rare, like ext- not just pretty rare, extremely rare for what he did in a top men's league uh, to be a legit top four defenseman to put up twenty points, um, to basically be a you know a really good two way player against really good professional players at his age. Um, and he has a lot of traits that will translate to the NHL. Um, like I said, I don't know where he's going to go, but I, he's definitely not a safe pick. It is interesting, even if you just contrast it with Simon Nemitz last year, right? Who who was in a men's league full time, and I don't know that you could say that as good of a men's league as no, not even close, right? And so that, you know, I don't think the production that Nemitz had was uh, you know drastically better. It was twenty six points in in thirty nine games. That's pretty close. Yeah, to what and, Ryan and he went, he he had like a huge playoff there. So there's a little yep. a little bit of some context, but Yurchek is the one I think of more when I think of. Um, Reinbacker, both, both late birth dates, similar size, right shot defenseman, and the production is, you would argue, similar or better in, in Reinbacker's case. Um, yeah, I mean, again, you can have arguments about him versus Leonard, him versus Dabble or Dvorsky or Mitchkoff or whoever, and come to your own reasonable conclusions. But I just, I, I kind of refuse the argument that this is like a safe player. Like, I mean, if you compare him to any of the other, you know, top European defensemen that have been picked in the last decade or so, whether it is, Nemec or Yurichek or Miro Heiskinen or, or Adam Larson or whoever, like his production is right at the top. And, you know, there's there's upside in this player. I'm not saying he's going to be like a star, but I mean, there's a lot of upside in this player at a position that is very valuable. All right. Here's where I'm at on Montreal, Corey. If they want Reinbacher, if he's their guy, they got to pick him at five. If they do come to the conclusion, though, that they prefer Ryan Leonard, why shouldn't they try to trade back with either maybe a Washington, a Detroit, a Philadelphia? One of these teams that might want to come up from Avi Michkov and try to still get Ryan Leonard, right? Seven eight nine. I mean, it's a really, it's a possibility, and I think people, in the media, can get guilty of speculating too much about trades yep. this time of year that never happen and have no grounds in reality. But I think this one has grounds in reality because I think there are unique circumstances in this draft that lend itself to a potential trade up, trade down, whatever you want to call it, at the very top of the draft. In that we have a player in Matvey Michkov, who a lot of people agree is a very talented hockey player, and there are some NHL organizations that are that are very in on this player, and there are some organizations for a multitude of reasons that we've covered ad nauseum on this podcast that are very not in on this player, and I think that creates the kind of dynamic there where if you kind of think there's this big drop off after the first four centers and you're not in on Michkov, and somebody else thinks that's not a four player group, it's a five player group then that creates a dynamic, I think, for the trade. And it's why, you know, going into the draft, the two organizations that kind of have become well-known-ish that, that people think are in on Mitch Koff, these are not guarantees, mind yeah. you, are Philadelphia and Washington. Um, a lot of people in the league I talk to think they are open to it. Not everybody agrees they are open to it. I would not call it a guarantee if Mitch Koff is on the clock to Philly that they're taking him. I would not call it a guarantee that if he's on the clock to Washington, Washington is taking him. I would not guarantee those things. But that seems to be the common thought, is that those two organizations would be open to making that pick. And I think that creates dynamics with Montreal and with Arizona on could they trade down? And if they value Ryan Leonard, David Reinbeck, or Dalbor Dvorsky, you're probably getting one of those guys still, and you might get an extra asset along the way. Yeah, I mean, if you were to be able to get back to just seven, if you're Montreal, you're still getting one of Leonard or Ryan Bacher there. Yes. But 
in order for that to happen, Philly doesn't need to do that in they don't, not necessarily. I mean, they may want to get in front of Arizona, mm-hmm. um, but Washington probably has to also be showing interest of jumping Philly to create right. something right. like that. You kind of saw that in the NFL draft last year, uh, coincidentally enough, with the Philadelphia organization where they where they traded up the one spot to go get Jalen Carter, uh, who was considered a potential high-end talent who, who, who dropped down the draft. And they only moved up the one spot there, but they did it to secure the player. If you really believe in Mitchkov, whether you're Philly or Washington or some other organization that might be further down the line, whether it's Detroit or somebody else that really believes in the player, you know, you might not, you need might need to move up the two spots or the three spots, whatever it is, to secure your guy if you really do believe in the player and think he can be a difference maker for you. We know that Mitchkov is meeting with teams here this week. What kind of questions do you think the teams that may have an interest in him on talent, but may have not been able to get to know him throughout the year. What kind of questions do you think are the most important ones he's going to be answering? I think the biggest question I'm hearing from NHL people is they just want to know he's going to sign with you. Like they, you can talk to him about his season and, you know, and, and try to get to know the kid and his personality and, you know, and, and learn about, you know, obviously the, the terrible tragedy that happened to his father, uh, you know, earlier this season. But I think the biggest question on everyone's mind is when that deal is up, are you signing with us? I think that's the big question. And my general sense is that teams have been talking to him and that they feel... I, have, I haven't talked to a team yet. I know there's been the rumors like about how like that Washington scout in, in Russia had a bad interview with him, for example. But the, the scouts I've talked to that have interviewed him have come away with positive impressions so far. Um, that could change. <laughs> you know, as people are talking to him today as we, as we record this right now. Um, but I, I think that's the big question on everyone's mind. And I think with like, an organization like Arizona, um, that's even a bigger question, right? Because with Arizona, it's um, there's uncertainty around their organization in terms of their building, the city they're going to be they're going to be in when when he's ready to come over. Um, so I think that that interview will be really interesting because I I think at the minimum he is in their conversation right now. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. As we kind of talk about everything around the draft that's happening, one of the other trades I think we should get to today is the Pierre-Luc Dubois deal that I don't know if it's been made official yet, but Murat was tweeting earlier about the, the progress on it. We were talking at lunch about it. How does this set up LA? And they go from this team that had this sterling prospect pipeline now to maybe as win now as, as any. That, that's why you get prospects sometimes because not some of them are going to work out. Some of them are going to be part of your, of your next contending core. And some of them are going to be used as trade chips, Brock Faber turns into Kevin Fiala, um, you know, and, and again, some prospects work out, some some don't. Gabe Velarde 
is is used. Rasmus Kupari is used to turn that into Pierre Luc Dubois, who's an excellent hockey player. And you still have young players on that roster. Quentin Byfield is going to, I think, is going to be a really good player for them next season. Brant Clark's probably going to be on that roster next year. Looked really good in the OHL in the second half. Artie Kaliev, you know, he's had some good stretches, some not uh, some impressive stretches, but he's a really good young player. He'll be on that roster next season. Um, you know, so I think, you know. Not every young player works out, but if those guys are working out, then you're really happy with all those good veterans around them. How about for Colorado on the other end of the New Hook deal? That's a, a win now team as any. They they come away with a couple of uh, picks in the top forty here. You think they should make those picks? Should they be trying to wheel and deal? What what would you do there as the Avalanche? It's a really interesting scenario. It's it's hard to imagine them using both of their first round picks. But in my thought with the draft is you are making those picks until I see otherwise. I, I don't think you could ever presume trades are going to happen. Um, you know, and they don't have really have a deep farm system by any means. They've traded away a lot of picks in recent years. So I don't think it's unreasonable for them to use both of those picks, try and get some actual quality young players in that organization that can be part of their future. Um, you know, it's hard to look at their farm system now and really like circle a guy that you think your confidence is going to have an NHL career. Um, so I, I think you can look at that team and say, you know, they need to make those picks. We've talked about a few of the most interesting scenarios here. When the picks start flying tomorrow, or maybe crawling, it's day one, uh, which team on the clock will have you on the edge of their seat? Yeah, I think it's Montreal, and it's really interesting that it's Montreal two years in a row, right? Different spots in the draft, but it's, you know, we presume. Now, if the presumption is off, it changes things. We presume the four centers being Bedard, Fantilli, Smith, Carlson are going in the top four in some order. What that order is, I cannot tell you. But we presume that those are the first four picks. We presume it will put Montreal under the gun with arguably the biggest decision to make in the draft. And the decision might be to trade the pick, to be quite honest, but it, it is a decision they have to make. Um, and it would be kind of fascinating because that's two years in a row, different circumstances, first overall versus fifth overall. Um, but I think, you know, um, uh, the, the Kent Hughes regime has uh, got their work cut out for them in, in the early years of their management group. I know you got your, your final mock coming out uh, tomorrow morning. I, I don't want to ask you to spoil too much of it, but is there anything as you've been putting it together, any big change that you've made in the last 24 hours? Uh, I don't know about big changes. Like I said, I mean, like I said, we've, we're, we're trying to figure out how those first four centers are going to go. That, that's obviously been, been something I've, I've been, been trying to work, trying to figure out the right order of those guys. Um, as we've gotten closer, I've gotten the sense that Matt, there's more Matt Wood love in the league than I kind of anticipated maybe a month or two ago. Strong U18 worlds definitely helped in that regard. Um, not getting the sense that there's like this big like Russian scare. Uh, like I think, like I said, the impressions of Mitchkov have been positive. People in the league are very high on Dmitry Simashev. Um, I think Daniel Boot's going to go firmly in the first round. I think it's even possible Mikhail Gulyayev goes in the first round. So I'm not getting the sense, despite everything going on in the world, and obviously we saw the events that went on in Russia over the last couple of days. I'm not getting the sense that there is this big. Um, hesitancy to draft Russians right now. And that's how it played out last year. I mean, when Steve Eisman had his press conference last week and he, he really pointed that out, it hasn't seemed like you don't know any given GM's feeling on it, but sure. the league as a whole hasn't really dropped these guys too far. Yeah. I mean, Ivan Mirosochenko goes 20, which I think yeah. is perfectly reasonable given how he had cancer in his draft season. People might say Daniela Yurov dropped based on what he was rated, but I thought after kind of talking to people after the draft, I think people may have just, um, may not have had him rated properly. At least, considering in terms you can argue whether he's a good player or not but i think the league was lower on him as a player than maybe the public was at the time artem duda goes high in the second round trikazov goes in the second round Vichelnikov. Vichelnikov, Paravalov goes relatively early with the roles those are all guys kind of rated right around that range so i and and obviously pavel minchikov 
Mind you, playing in North America, he goes 10th overall. Yeah. You bring up Matthew Wood. I think he's an interesting one because you, we've talked so much about the, the skill at the top of this class, and it has so often been through the lens of these smaller guys, your Perot's, your Benson's. I'm sure I'm glossing over someone I shouldn't be as I go through this list. Riley Hyde, Andrew Crystal. Yes, for sure. Right. But I think when you have Matthew Wood, that he does, it's not like he doesn't have the skating question, but he does have the size that I think gives you a clear pathway to how he gets around it. Yeah, I mean, I remember the first time I watched Matt Wood, it was at that U17 event that Hockey Canada put on uh, t- a couple of Novembers ago. I remember like the first time I watched him, I was, like, I was just blown away by the talent. And you're like, oh my God, this guy's so skilled, so smart. He's huge. He can shoot a puck. Like, like This guy has a lot of talent. And I feel like the season he had this year went a little under the radar, how good a season he had. He led his Hockey East team in scoring as a 17-year-old. This wasn't a bottom-end Hockey East team. They were, you know, UConn didn't have an amazing year but but they were you know a respectable team in their conference and he led their team in scoring i think if you're late first early second pick does that the year after his draft you are extremely excited about the player never mind a guy who's 17 years old i mean that's what you know he had a similar numbers to maddie veneers and, and ken johnson in their draft year different players obviously different conference um but matt wood has a lot of talent and i think you know i think right around the 10 mark maybe 9 maybe 8 maybe 11 maybe 12 13 i think that's kind of the range he's gonna go in and i think there's a lot of love for the player in the league all right well should be a good show uh, in nashville they, they certainly know how to put one on and uh, we will delight in, in taking it all in uh Corey, thanks for doing this thank you all for listening to this episode of the athletic hockey show prospect series